He is risen. All right. Happy resurrection morning to all of you. I know that uh, some of you might be yawning because you got up for sunrise service this morning. And that was good too. That was a great morning. Not too cold. Was it too cold? Not too bad. I'm trying to lure you guys in for next year's Easter sunrise service. It's really warm out there, actually. <sighs> well, um, it, is, uh, it is my honor uh, to stand up here uh, today, uh, one more time, on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the first time I've been in this pulpit uh, since I made my announcement that I'll be with my wife and my children and my in-laws, uh, we'll be moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, starting a new life out there, and uh, believing and hoping uh, that God has good things in store uh, for us, as I know He does for our church. I want to thank you for uh, all of your overwhelming support for me and for Casey and our family. Uh, we. Uh, have received an enormous amount of love and support and encouragement. And uh, we've been very, very grateful for it. Um, We do believe that God has a great plan, not just for us, but for all of you here at Coast. And uh, it is our hope and prayer that this church will carry on in its proclamation of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the importance of the family of God as we gather each and every week of the importance of the Word of God that is embedded in our name, Coast Bible Church. I have no doubt this church is going to carry on and testify of the grace of our Lord. Even still, as I think about those plans, that future that God has for us and that God has for, for all of us, I know that the enemy right now is working relentlessly to plant seeds of doubt and fear. I've been waiting for these doubts and fears to come. I've been reading uh, uh, books and uh, different materials on what it's like to make a major life change, to make a, a large transition in your life. And every single one of these resources, every single one of these books, the authors will tell you that the doubts and the fears will come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And this uh, past week in particular was a week of doubt and fear for me. In the midst of it all, though, I am coming to understand a strange benefit to my doubt. God has been ministering to me in the midst of doubt, affording me a benefit from Him that I would not otherwise have experienced. And it's helped inspire Um, my last Easter message that I want to share with you. The title of this message is The Benefit of the Doubt. The Benefit of the Doubt. This beautiful painting that serves as a a backdrop for this message uh, is from the Italian uh, Baroque master Caravaggio, uh, circa 1600s or so. You'll see why I chose this painting at the end of the message. When we think about doubt, especially during the time of Easter, one particular disciple of Jesus comes to mind. Who is that disciple? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. 
Doubting Thomas. Uh, you know what though? I'm here to say Thomas gets a bad rap. He does. Thomas gets a really, really bad rap because I want to open up to a portion of John chapter 20. We're going to be flipping through the Gospels. You can start in John 20. In John 20, there's a story uh, about Thomas, but we'll read it, but then we'll, we'll find out why Thomas has, is not the only one who's been experiencing doubt. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, here is Thomas's doubt, but again, Thomas is not the only one. Take a look. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, We've seen the Lord! And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. This is the, uh, the, the picture that we think of when we think of doubt in, um, in, the, in the Bible, in all the Scripture. If I said, where's the story about doubt? Most of you would point to this story and say, Thomas is a story about doubt, about faithlessness, about disbelieving, about having a heart that is calloused and hard and unwilling to recognize what God has done. But as I said, doubting Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, all four Gospels indicate that many, not just one or two, many of Jesus' disciples and closest followers doubted his resurrection had occurred. We just read from John. Now jump back, if you will, to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 9. We begin to see that Thomas was not the only one. Luke 24, beginning in verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb. This is to say the women who had seen the tomb empty. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to the apostles like idle tales. And they, the apostles, did not believe them. Well, perhaps their doubts are understandable. After all, this is uh, the testimony of another person, right? You know, when you hear something from someone, uh, many of us, not all, but many of us, we hear a testimony of, of some miracle and we think, okay, that's, that's a good story, good for you. We don't believe it. We're afraid to believe it. Believe in a miracle? That's a crazy thing to do. Not only that, in first century Jewish culture, to believe the testimony, not just the testimony of another, but the testimony of Jewish women. Back in that day, according to Jewish custom, Jewish law, the testimony of a woman in that day was lesser 
than the testimony of a man. It held less weight in court. Literally. And so the disciples, they heard from these women that, that the tomb was empty and they thought, oh, okay, okay, yes, there's a few of you saying that, but my, my instincts, my customs, my laws remind me that that's probably not accurate. Disbelieving. Doubting. Maybe they needed to, to hear it from a man. Well, not quite. Jump back to Mark. Chapter 16, we're going back now into more of the Gospels. Another one of the Gospels, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 12. This is Mark referring to the story of Jesus appearing to two men on the road to Emmaus. Mark makes a slight allusion to it, and this is what he says. It says in Mark 16, verse 12, After that, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went, these these two men, they went and they told it to the rest, that is to the disciples, to the followers of Christ. But they did not believe them either. Doubting Thomas in the Gospel of John. The doubting apostles receiving the testimony of the women in Luke and saying, ah, that's, that's a good story, but no way. Maybe they needed to hear it from a man. Well, they heard it from a man. They heard it from two men. In, Luke chapter, in Mark chapter 16, they received the testimony of now two men on the road to Emmaus who came and said, we saw him. It's a miracle. He rose. But they did not believe them either. They still doubted. They did not believe that Jesus had risen again. Well, maybe, maybe they needed to see it for themselves. You know, kind of like Thomas, right? Maybe they needed to see it with their own eyes. Seeing is believing, right? If only Jesus would have appeared to them then surely, surely, they would not have doubted. Not quite. To our final gospel as we're turning the wrong way in our Bibles. Mark, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw Jesus... They worshipped him, but some doubted. Now that's a remarkable statement right there. That's remarkable to me, personally. They saw him, Matthew says. And Matthew would know, because Matthew is one of the eleven disciples who was on this mountain. They saw him. They saw him alive in front of them, risen from the dead. And still Matthew recounts that some of them looked at their risen Lord and they doubted it. How in the world 
How in the world can you walk side by side with Jesus for three years? Hear Him speak of His impending death and resurrection over and over and over again. And then see, and then hear first, hear testimony from women that He's alive. And then to hear testimony from two other men this time that He's alive. And then to see with your own eyes that He is alive. And yet you still doubt? What is wrong with these disciples? How can you doubt? How can you doubt this God? How can you doubt Him at a moment like that? It's the plague of the human condition. It's the plague of the human condition. That, that the good and the beautiful and what is true and lovely and pure and holy, that it can be right in front of your face and you can still doubt it and shrink back in fear. Our faith can be so small sometimes. My faith can be so small. We are a people who doubt. And what I love, what I love about the story of Scripture and what I love about the story of my Lord is that He receives upon Himself all the doubt and all the fear and all the frustration and all the pain. And while sometimes... There is gentle rebuke from him to us of that doubt. Sometimes he admonishes us for that doubt. But it's my experience more often than not that he simply walks with me through doubt and fear. That's precisely what Jesus did in John chapter 11. Turn there if you would. John chapter 11. He walked with two women through doubt and through fear. John chapter 11. Setting up the story here. Jesus has been beckoned to Bethany because his friend Lazarus at the time was sick and dying. And by the time Jesus arrived, he was dead. And Mary and Martha... Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, were in unbelievable pain and anguish. They had sent for Jesus. They had sent messengers. Come, come quickly. He's dying. Hurry up. And Jesus had arrived too late. We pick up the story in verse 17, John 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women 
around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met Jesus. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha came and she, and she says to Jesus, Lord, verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The, uh, the youth group and I conversed about this text last week, last Sunday. They had some good insights about it that I'll pass along to you. The youth noted as they read these words from Martha that there's so much there. There's so much there in that statement. On the one hand, there's faith, there's trust. Lord, you can do it. Your presence can change things. There's faith, there's trust, there's belief. On the other hand, there's there's doubt. Lord, where were you? If you had been here, there's frustration. Why weren't you here? There's sadness. My brother has died. You missed it. There's so much there in that statement by Martha. What's interesting is that Mary says the exact same thing. Look at verse 32. Jump to verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was, and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same question, twice, from two sisters. Frustration, blame, yeah. Sadness, yeah. Fear, yes. Doubt, yes. And Jesus' response? Jesus says, Hey, don't cry. Lazarus is in heaven. No, that's not what he said. Fear, pain, frustration, sadness, blame, doubt. And Jesus' response? Don't be sad. Lazarus is in a better place now. You should be happy for him. No. Jesus' response, verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus' response was one of utter love and empathy. He took all of the pain and all of the doubt and the frustration directed at him. Lord, where were you? He received all of it. And he didn't rebuke. He didn't admonish them. He didn't chastise them for their lack of faith. Instead, he received it, he absorbed it, and he groaned in his spirit. And he cried his eyes out. 
What I love about my Lord is that he walks with us through fear and doubt. He walks with us through sadness and pain. He walks with us even when we blame him and express our frustration to him at the way he has handled things. And that's what, that's what I needed from him this past year. That's what I needed from my Lord this past year in my life. The response he gave to Martha and to Mary is the response that he has been giving me this year. I was at Forest Home the summer camp where the kids go. I was at a pastor's conference, and uh, a wonderful, wonderful pastor's conference that now Pastor Tom is a part of, a three-year cohort of pastors and wives that, that meet three times a year for three years. It's been a, an incredible process that Casey and I went through together. And I was at Forest Home when the call came back in February of last year. The call came from Lloyd that, uh, that Mary Ann had died. And I was sitting in a session uh, in this kind of, uh, kind of basically like a, a two-story, real large home uh, with a large meeting area downstairs. And I was sitting in one of the pastors and wives sessions, listening to the, the facilitator and interacting with the large group. And my phone started going off on the table. And I didn't want to pick it up because that would have been rude and I, I didn't want to disturb the, the lesson. So I kind of silenced it, or it was already on silent, but I, I silenced even the, the vibration of the phone and, uh, and then it came again, and I decided to, uh, to flip over my phone, because it transcribes my voicemails into text, and I flipped it over, and all I saw was Lloyd Grimm, colon, you know, it said, uh, something, something, she's gone. And I, I knew something had happened, and I took my phone, and I walked out, and I walked outside. And I walked along a, a gravel path that was near the house. I excused myself from the session. I walked outside and I listened to the voicemail. And it was Lloyd. And uh, he was in distress. And, and I heard the words from him that his, that his mom had passed, the matriarch of Coast Bible Church. And I would like to tell you that at that moment, I looked up to God and said, Thank you, God, for the life of Marianne. I would like to tell you that at that moment, I, I received that message and I, I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to God for all that he had done and all the, the years and, and ministry and love that we as a church had received from Marianne. But that's not what happened. I got that message, and I dropped to my knees, boom, and I swatted at the ground. And all the gravel and all the rocks flew into the air. In that moment, I blamed God for taking her. In that moment, I cried out, Lord, if you had been here, Marianne would not have died. And in that moment of, of my 
doubt and my fear and my faithlessness. God was patient with me. He was patient with me. He did not condemn me, nor did he try to cheer me up. He just sat there with me in my pain. And he groaned in his spirit with me. And he wept with me. He received all of my pain and despair. We prayed and prayed and prayed as a church that God was, would give us more time with Marianne. And it looked like, it really did look like, he had answered that prayer. The doctor's reports had been coming in. It looks like the cancer may be gone. It looked like she was beginning to recover. And suddenly, suddenly, he took her home. And I didn't like that decision. I didn't like how he handled that, that moment. And hearing scriptures like, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, those scriptures didn't comfort me very much right then. And so I reacted in frustration and fear and doubt. And I was not proud of my reaction. But I know why I reacted that way. I was trying to guard myself. I was trying to protect myself from pain. Maybe you can relate. You start to hold back. You start to expect less from God. Your prayers start moving away from God please heal. And instead your prayers become more generic. Less powerful. Less bold. Ah, oh God, maybe you can help a little. You begin to guard your heart against another disappointment. So you expect less of God, supposing that that will make things less painful for you. I've seen that same spirit of guarding myself, protecting myself, as it relates to Dale Hickey and his cancer. Two months ago, Dale was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic and liver cancer. And I prayed for a miracle. We all did. Many of you have gone to see him during these past two months. Pastor Tom and I have had the privilege of seeing Dale multiple times. I've been around death now long enough to know when someone is about to go. And twice in the last month... At least twice, maybe more. I remember turning to Pastor Tom and saying, this is it. We're only moments away, maybe a day, two at the most. And then Dale would rally. Strangely. He would rally just to keep our hopes alive. And then came a week ago last Friday. I went to visit Dale again. He had just gone into hospice at home. His entire body, head to toe, was swollen. He was lying in a bed in, in the living room of his home that, that had been set up for him, a, you know, a hospital-like bed, all sorts of wires and, and, and whatnot around him and a breathing apparatus over his nose. His eyes were swollen shut. The breathing machine was loud. He would often wince and moan in pain, despite the morphine. He had repeatedly, at that point, this is a week ago Friday, he had repeatedly said goodbye to his wife Susie. 
He was going in and out of consciousness. Dale was dying. And Susie was crying. And it was time for me to pray. And again, I'd like to tell you that my faith didn't waver. I'd like to tell you that I prayed again one last time for a miracle. I'd like to tell you that. Truth is, this was the first time I prayed with Dale that I didn't pray for that miracle. I wasn't going to let myself experience the same pain and disappointment again. I went home that Friday evening after dinner with some friends in a terrible, somber mood. When Casey asked what was wrong, I said plainly to my wife, I said, Dale is going to die, and I'm tired of death. And that night, while I slept, God decided to do something about my doubt and about Dale's imminent death. I'll let someone who knows best uh, describe what that was like. Good morning. Coast Bible Church, what a delight to be able to share a testimony with you on Easter Sunday. Thank you to so many people who have come, visited, sent cards, sent food, sent their love, made phone calls, and have contributed to um, my encouragement. And I want to say thank you to the church for all that you have meant to Susie and I during uh, this time of illness. I'd like to briefly tell a story of moving out of the hospital and come under hospice care. And I'll pick up the story uh, by the, at the point in time where I was being transported. And as that transportation was bringing me to my home uh, to now start hospice care. Uh, on uh, Thursday and Friday, I was very, very weak, very, very exhausted, and I couldn't keep my eyes open. My body was swollen. Uh, I had uh, in, uh, uh, tenderness all over my body, and I went into a deep, subconscious sleep. During that time, I was involved uh, in a spiritual warfare. And it is really strange, and I don't have much time to explain it, but believe me, I was unconscious, I was near death, and I had this spiritual warfare take place. Suddenly, I jumped up from the side of the bed and I called for my wife and I said I'm alive I'm healed and as we looked over my body I no longer was swollen I no longer had the tenderness in my skin and I had complete use of my uh, body my voice and all my other faculties and I just want to say thank you to Jesus. And if one person can be inspired by what God did, I hope it happens today. And I thank you 
for the opportunity to express these words to you. And I bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim and Tish saw Dale earlier this week. They came to me after seeing him and said, Pastor, we we can't explain it, but something's happened to Dale. I had seen him bounce back before, only to regress again. I heard their testimony, Jim and Tish's testimony, and I didn't believe it. I didn't want to believe their testimony. Just as the disciples didn't want to believe the testimony of those who had seen the risen Christ. Then I went to visit Dale myself. I saw Dale with my own two eyes. He looked like a brand new person again. And still I hesitated. I didn't want to believe with what my eyes We're seeing, much like some of the disciples doubted even seeing the risen Lord. John Mitchell was there. And some of the first words out of my mouth were, this is remarkable. And John said, no, no, it's not remarkable, Neil. It's a miracle. Call it what it is. It's a miracle. Dale said in the video that he had a dream. He called it spiritual warfare. In his conversations with Jim and Tish and with John and with others of you, you've heard the story of what happened in that dream. He was slipping in and out of consciousness, and immediately he was transported to a different place in this dream where he saw creatures, evil and wicked creatures, he described them, that were battling him, against him, And he was afraid. And then he said, I immediately I sensed that there was something behind me like a warrior force. And he went on to describe how angels went past him to do battle with the creatures that had put fear and dread into his soul. And it gave him time to escape. And as he escaped from that moment, he shot out of bed and said, Susie, I'm alive. I'm healed. And they looked over all of his body and it was immediately transformed. All of the swelling was immediately gone. The color in his face was returned. He could sit up. He could talk. He could eat. I recounted this dream to my father-in-law last night. The first words out of Bob's mouth were, Neil, That was my prayer. I prayed that God would send angels to surround Dale in his bed. I prayed that God would send angels to protect him. This, this, this is what God does with doubt. This is what God does with doubt. He receives our doubt, our fears, our frustrations, our pain. He receives all of it. And then 
he removes all doubt. That's what the father did 2,000 years ago. He removed all doubt by raising his son from the dead. That's what our God has done today in our presence. He has taken a man who was as close to death as I've ever seen someone in my life. And he has taken your faith and your prayers. He's taken all of it. He's taken my doubt. He's taken all of it. And he's removed all doubt. God has left no doubt. The benefit of the doubt. The benefit of the doubt is Jesus. The benefit of our doubt is Jesus. It is embodied in the person and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we are weak, our benefit is embodied in the person of Jesus. When we are dispirited, our benefit, our advantage in that moment is that we have a relentlessly powerful other spirit within us, the Holy Spirit. And when we doubt, when we lose faith like I do, our benefit, our hope, is that our God doesn't demand or require perfect faith from us to accomplish the miraculous. This painting is the incredulity of St. Thomas. He disbelieved until he could see Jesus with his own eyes and put his fingers in the holes and in his side that had been speared. I'm here to tell you, uh, and I can't believe it, but I'm here to testify that I, with my own eyes and with my own hands, have, uh, have witnessed a resurrection miracle this week with Dale Hickey. So is Jim and Tish, and so is John, others of you who have gone. It's funny, my temptation, John can tell you, my temptation was to ask Dale, Dale, do you have a doctor's report yet? Do you, did, Dale, did you, did you get the clean bill of health? The benefit of the doubt is Jesus. When you are weak, like me, when you fear, like me, when you doubt, like me, lucky for you, you have a Savior who does the miraculous in spite of you and in spite of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for giving us a real example of resurrection. It's, uh, it often feels uh, just like a story long ago that we know so well that sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. That we're so accustomed to the story that we hear it again and again and it, it loses its effect. And yet, God, this particular moment in our life and in our church's life, you've seen fit to give us a fresh, 
fresh anointing of your spirit and a fresh manifestation of your resurrection power in the miracle of Dale Hickey and his recovery. Oh God, please take away our fears and our doubts. Take away my fears and my doubts, Lord. Let us never doubt you. Let us always pray for the miraculous to the very end, knowing that you are a God who can do all things. You raised your son. You raised Dale. You can raise us up too. And you can overcome anything, anything that is causing us fear and doubt today. I thank you for that promise, Lord, that the benefit of our doubt is your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.